everybody. Welcome to another episode of The List. As always, my name is Brett. On the other end of the tin can and string is Jordan. Jordan, how are we doing today? Brett, I need a favor from you. What is that? I want you to, we're not going to cut anything. I want you to go back and start over and actually sound like your team just scored 70 fucking points yesterday. So start over for us. Sound more excited. Okay, hold on. We'll just cut all that out. No, we're not cutting it out. We're leaving it in. And now so the people can see your true nature. You're going to sound more excited. All righty. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the episode of The List. As always, my name is Brett, and on the other end of the tin cannon string is Jordan. Jordan, how are you doing today? I feel way too confident. I feel way too happy. I feel way too confident to be only three weeks into the football season. Yeah, I don't know what's uh, higher right now, your alcohol intake or the amount of points the Dolphins scored. What do you think? Uh, the amount of points the Dolphins scored yesterday, for sure. But it's not by much. It's very close. But the amount the Dolphins scored yesterday is uh, it's probably a little higher than the amount of uh, Yom Kippur beverages I've had. Absolutely. And, of course, we have, as always, Zach Jackson producing for us. Zach also was celebrating the game yesterday. And despite the uh, mellow tones I had, I celebrate it pretty late into the night. And I had to be up early. So it's been a rough day for me, too. But... Victory Monday, probably my favorite Victory Monday in a long time that didn't involve beating a division rival. Historic Sunday for us. Um, pretty good offensive output. Uh, first team since the 60s to score 70 points. Uh, Jordan, you were at the game. How was that live? It felt a little surreal. Like It, it felt like one of those college football games where you're team is playing a really bad team um, and you just keep scoring and keep scoring and keep scoring. And every time you look up, there's another big play. Um, I remember so many times throughout the game, turning to my brother and turning to people around me going like, what is happening right now? And, and as, ex- as excited as we are, uh, it, it almost felt like we could have done more. We absolutely could. As we know, um, at the end of the game, we had a chance to kick a field goal that would have given us the record. I kind of wish we, not only do I wish we would have gone for it, I understand the trying to be uh, respectful, but I checked out some Denver fan sites, some blogs, some vlogs, and honestly, most of them were upset that we didn't just go for the field goal and, and uh, get the record against them. They were calling us cowards for not just doing everything they could to get that record. Yeah, I mean, they can be upset and, and say we should have rubbed it in a little more. Um, I think the Dolphins won with class. I think the Dolphins won with speed. Um, and I think the Dolphins, I, I don't think anybody can say that right now we're not the most impressive team in football through three weeks. Oh, absolutely. Once again, turned on sports talk, uh, midday talk today, and everybody is singing our praise. The only thing they were doing more than singing our praise was dunking on the Broncos which uh, is pretty easy to understand. To give up 70 points, and I didn't think the Broncos had a bad defense. A beat-up defense, for sure. But against our old buddy Vance Joseph, uh, I'm actually kind of shocked he hasn't been fired yet. Uh, but real quick, just to run through stats, Tua Tunga Valoa, another great game. 23 of 26, 309 yards and four touchdowns. One pass away from breaking Ryan Tannehill's record for consecutive passes uh, to start a game. It's funny, is of course, his first incompletion came right after the announcers said he was one pass away, so the old commentator jinx. Good game. Some The touchdown 
can't believe the Broncos lost Tyreek Hill in coverage like that. Of course, the play of the game is going to be two as no look pass to uh, A-Chain, or A-Chan, I guess is how he says you're supposed to pronounce it. And I saw on Twitter yesterday, Jordan, someone said if that was Patrick Mahomes, that's the only thing you would see for the rest of the week about how great it is. Barely mentioned outside of Twitter. Yeah, I think that um, (laughs) it's funny when you have a lefty quarterback um, and he threw two touchdown passes with his left, I think I saw, and two with his right. Do I have that correct? You were right. Yeah, so I, I think the day Tua had yesterday is special. I mean, Tua threw four touchdowns, had three incompletions. Um, I mean, he threw for 309 yards with ease, and he did it essentially in three and a half quarters. Uh, he also threw for 300 yards while having a running back over 200, a running back over 80, and a running back over 65. Um, he did it without his number two receiver. Um, going into the game, I mean, I know uh, is that did I say that right, Achime? Achan, yeah, Achan, um, with with he's really our running back too. Um, but you were missing two running backs uh, going into the game. Uh, it was Armstead's first game back. Uh, shout out to the offensive line, and I'm sure you're going to get into that. Um, but but overall, I mean, what two is doing? If he's not the heavy favorite to an MVP right now, I don't know what else he could do. Oh, he absolutely is, and it's funny because as good as the numbers look, I. Like, I don't think Tua looked bad by any means. I don't think he had any bad throws. The incompletions were all just unlucky. It just was, I've seen so many games where I'm like, wow, Tua's doing this, Tua's doing that, Tua's doing that, and then I see he has 309 yards, four touchdowns, so he's, in almost every metric, the number one quarterback in the NFL. It just didn't feel like a big game to me. This, was, this, was, this game to me was more about the running game. Uh, Mostert uh, is also the number one ranked running back per PFF, just a beast. He's fifth in, I think he's, I saw he's fifth in the rushing yards right now, but in one game, Achan is now in the top 10 too. I was a fan of him coming out of Texas A&M. I was, I didn't really know if I liked drafting him in the second, second day of the draft. Even his, even his biggest fan couldn't have predicted this for his first game, 203 yards on the ground, 11.3 a carry, two touchdowns that way, but also two touchdowns receiving 30 yards. So, wow, what a what a way to introduce yourself to a national audience. And I'm guessing he's probably the biggest pickup in fantasy league starting tomorrow. Yeah, and I think he was already on a lot of deeper teams, but he's definitely a guy that's going to be looked at as a starter in fantasy. Um, especially, it'll be interesting to see against Buffalo. I mean, the game script really called for him to have 20 touches. Um, Mostert and A-Chain. Achan both had exactly 20 touches, um, or I guess Achan had 22. Um, but it'll it'll be interesting to see how many touches he gets against Buffalo, um, or if they go back to kind of um, most of regular uh, touches with a couple sprinkled in, um, especially if they need to throw the ball more. Um, but he definitely opens up another element to the offense. I mean, the the word we've been saying for six episodes right now is speed, speed, speed. And he just adds to that. I mean, he's just as fast as the rest of the guys we have on that offense. And it's crazy to see. Um, And we didn't even have Waddle. So it's going to be unbelievable to see this week when we have everybody out there, uh, really how fast things look. Right. And just to add to that too, before we go into anything else, how about Mike fucking White coming in? Two for two, 67 yards and a touchdown, a 68-yard touchdown 
the Robbie Chosen, Chosen Anderson, Robbie Anderson, whatever he's going by now. So that's another guy elevated from the practice squad this week. Um, it's his touchdown in his hometown. I think with that one pass, Mike White may have, or at the time of the completion of the touchdown, he had more passing yards than Zach Wilson. Uh, but the one bad news is we might see uh, Robbie Chosen get elevated permanently because River Craycraft did hurt his shoulder, and they did. And uh, Mike McDaniel did say today that that is not a week-to-week injury. They're still reevaluating it, so it does sound like uh, River Craycraft may be going on to the IR, which. It's very disappointing because he only had one catch for 13 yards, but it was a very clutch catch, and he's a guy that Tua definitely looks for for those clutch third down con- conversions in the, in the in the red zone too. And him and Barrios, who had two catches for 33 yards, have become really, really good safety safety blankets for Tua. Uh, no disrespect to Trent Sherfield that we had last year, but I think those two just had such a different dimension from what we had last year. And yes, I understand. Craycraft was with the team last year, but he didn't feel as in, consistently involved as he's been early this season. Uh, so we're really going to miss him, but I'm happy to have both of them uh, with the team. So we're, I'm definitely going to miss him because I don't think uh, Robbie Chosen Anderson, whatever, adds that same dimension. He just is basically another Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, but a lesser value, which isn't bad, but kind of kind of get used to having those slot guys. And I think it takes us to another level. Yeah, the the thing that's going to be interesting to me, because when Chosen went in the game, uh, it looked like he was kind of taking the role of if Izukanma was out wide or when Waddle's in the game, and those were more of the routes that Chosen was running. Um, The guy I look to replace Craycraft is actually Cedric Wilson. Um, I remember, and this is me doing the eye test. I haven't gone back and watched the game again um, since I was at the stadium yesterday. Um, But I remember on a couple key running plays – turning and saying, oh, who made that block? Who made that block? And each time I had asked, the answer was Cedric Wilson. Um, might be crazy, but I think if we're looking for a guy with the toughness of Craycraft, uh, said might be a way we turn. Yep, Wilson definitely was in on there in a lot of big runs. Him and Barrios just seemed to open stuff for the running backs quite a bit. Now, it does seem like we are forgetting someone, and that person is the Cheetah. Another big game, nine catches, 157 yards, and a touchdown. I can't believe I couldn't believe at the time how open he was on that touchdown. And then when you when you see the all twenty two, Jordan, I don't I'm sure you haven't gotten a chance to see it. You see both safeties go with Robbie Chosen, and they just completely leave Tyreek Hill. Now all I heard all week, especially leading up into the game, is how Patrick Sertan Jr. or the second um, and love the kid, great player, is just going to shadow Tyreek Hill. How his dad, the legendary Pat Sertan, is giving him insights on how to defend the Dolphins' uh, offense. And this was probably the worst game Patrick Sertan had. He gave up the big touchdown to Robbie Anderson, but I think I saw today he he gave up 96 yards on four catches on five targets. Uh, Don't quote me on that. I don't have it all up right there. But if their game plan was to shadow Tyreek Hill – they went away from that really quick, played a lot of zone, and Cheetah just ate that zone up. Yeah, it's, and that, that's kind of what I talked about on the, the pregame show, is there's nothing you can really do to completely stop this offense. In order to beat the Dolphins, you're going to have to score. Now, I don't necessarily think you're going to have to score 70 to beat us every week, um, but you're going to have to score more than 17 last week, more than 20 this week. Um, 
it's going to be unless we beat ourselves, um, which at this point we haven't done. It's going to be very hard to beat the Dolphins if if Sertan the second called his dad and said, "Dad, what's the secret to stopping the Dolphins' offense?" Uh, his dad probably would have told him to to have uh, a hammy pulled before the game uh, because he he shouldn't have been out there. Um, he got burned constantly all day, uh, and he's a great corner. He's a young kid. Um, but he went up against the wrong team on the wrong Sunday. Absolutely. Now, real quick, just want to go to Mike McDaniel. And this is something we've been talking about a lot. I continue to get more and more impressed by his schemes, by his motion, something I didn't think was possible because I was already super impressed by it. And again, I watched uh, on YouTube, Tim Jenkins' YouTube channel. Anybody listening, if you don't already watch Tim Jenkins, please go check him out on YouTube. Former NFL quarterback, former NFL coach. He does breakdowns every week one of his favorite people to watch is Tua but again not just with the motions and all the confusion it causes but every play there's two three people open each time and it's not even like it's a yard it's three four five yards even more people just wide open even if so if Tua has to go to a second read it's there and I'm going to pose this I'm going to say this to you Jordan um the only two people in the NFL I think come even close to Mike McDaniel in terms of play design and play calling or his best friend, his bro, Kyle Shanahan. And then pro- probably the second greatest coach in the last 30 years behind Bill Belichick, and that is Andy Reid. And honestly, right now, I think, like, all due respect to both of them, and you got to give respect to Reid because he's, he's done it and won two titles. Mike McDaniel right now, is it even questionable that he's the best play caller and play designer in the NFL? Oh, Mike McDaniel's in his bag right now. Mike McDaniel is. And, and like I said, going into this week, I'm going to be very interested to see when teams start adjusting to what the Dolphins are doing. Um, and that's when we're going to really see him take this offense to the next level and really see us be able to win a Super Bowl. Is when somebody counters and makes a good adjustment what the counter to the counter is going to be. I mean, that's what I'm fascinated to see as we play the Bills coming up. I mean, as we enter a tougher part of our schedule after the next two home games. Absolutely. And uh, we, we kind of mentioned this person in our first podcast, but shout out to Butch Berry, a guy who was vilified, was crucified, was slandered so much by Albright and the Denver media when he got fired by Denver last, last year. People talked about how he yelled, how he had a big ego, how he was uncooperative. We hired him to be our offensive line coach. He, he, Miami Hurricane fans already knew him, and he didn't have a good run in Miami. But he's completely turned this offensive line around. So question for you. Through three games, Jordan, do you know how many sacks the Dolphins have given up? Um, I am going to cheat and say one, yep. um, just simply because I knew that and not because I was taking some gas. So I have to admit that I knew the answer was one. Yep. Do you know how many pressures the offensive line gave up on Sunday? That I do not know. Three. I, I was going to say one or two, but three sounds about right. Yep, it was three. Armstead didn't give up a single pass or, uh, pressure in his first game back. The interior of Robert Hunt, Isaiah Wynn and Connor Williams have given up a total of three pressures all year. So Austin Jackson is the only one to really give up multiple pressures. I don't have the exact amount, but he's 
having quote unquote the worst year in terms of giving up pressures. And he actually, for the first time, looks like a com- a competent right tackle. He's aside from a couple snaps against the Patriots, I think he's looked borderline Pro Bowl. But then Connor Williams, who did come out with a groin injury, though honestly, I think if it wasn't a fifty-point game, he could have come back in. Um, but I think Connor Williams and Robert Hunt are all pros this year, and. It, I want to keep both of them. Like it's funny, we just talked last week about Connor Williams' snap snapping issues, but he's been so good as a blocker. And same with Robert Hunt. It's because it's going. The question becomes, who do we keep? To what do we have to do to keep both of these guys after this year? Is it is it possible? Uh, I think it's possible, um, but I think the the priority is going to be Robert Hunt. Uh, I think that if we were going to keep Connor Williams, to me. And it doesn't seem like something we're willing to do, but to me, it would be a guard. It wouldn't be at center. Um, and I know we've had that conversation a million times, and this is supposed to be a celebration of yesterday, so I'm not going to go on with my Connor Williams takes. But um, it's going to be interesting. I like that they moved Kendall Lamb back to that swing backup spot, um, and it, it makes me confident to know. I mean, we have a lot of football left, and at some point, uh, an uh, offensive lineman's going to need a blow and need some snaps uh, given to somebody else. And knowing that we have a sixth offensive lineman that we feel comfortable with is great. Um, I was, and again, I didn't, I watched just as a fan and just at the game. Um, but I was uh, pleasantly surprised with, I believe it was Eichenberg that came in to snap uh, once Connor Williams had gone. Um, and I, I think that he continued what was already a great day. Now, how much of that was the Broncos already tapping out? Um, and how much was that Eichenberg uh, playing his role? But uh, I, I thought as a whole, our offensive line was impressive. Um, I think there's nothing even remotely bad that you can say about the way our offense played um, and about, about the way our offense has played through three weeks overall. Absolutely. And uh, also shout out to rookie Julian Hill, who made his debut today. Uh, Durham Smythe actually got shook up early in the game. So Julian Hill, the undrafted free agent from a small school, I believe, called Campbell, came in and played 78% of the snaps at tight end. Um, I believe that was that was our boy in our preseason show. We both gave him a shout-out, and we both looked for big things from Julian Hill. Absolutely. We did, and um, he had one bad snap that I remember on the fourth down, which is my one complaint from the game is I didn't agree with going for it on fourth down. It didn't hurt us, uh, but he had one bad, one bad block where he got blown up by an incoming rusher. But outside of that, he... Like, you can already tell he's got the body of an NFL tight end, which, especially coming from a small school, you usually don't see. Um, but to play off of that, go right into our defense, which continues to get better and better. Uh, there were some issues with people mi- people uh, missing their assignments and zones that led to some bigger plays, but never actually hurt us. And to play off of that, uh, we have, per PFF, we have four players ranked number one in their position in the NFL. Just, to, uh, just take a guess, Jordan. Can you name those four players? Uh, Javon Holland. Yep. Christian Wilkins. Nope. Oh, wow. Um, it would be Holland, Tua, Raheem. Oh, I thought, you meant, I thought you meant just on defense. I'm sorry. Well, no, you're good. I was expecting you to go the other way and start because Javon Holland would be the was the one I didn't know if you'd get. Um, talked about it many times before. My big complaint last year was I didn't feel we put Holland into a position 
to make enough plays after Brandon Jones got hurt. We kept him deep. I understand part of it was scheme. You need to do it because in Boyer's scheme, you need good corners. So I understand why he was deep, but he's playing close to the line of scrimmage and you're seeing him make more plays, more tackles for losses. And you saw him force two fumbles where he just swatted the ball out of Cortland Sutton's hand. Do you know how many career fumbles Cortland Sutton had coming into this, into Sunday's game? Let me guess one. He had two for his career. And he had and, two today. Or and two, he had yeah. two. Yep. He had two against, against us, both forced by Devon Holland. Defensive line continues to do really well. Andrew Van Ginkle in limited minutes again. Just he looks like a completely different player. He's always been a guy that reads the game well, but it always felt like he was a step too slow or got a little little too small to make the tackle or got caught flat-footed. He's making these plays. Uh, Cater uh, again. Uh, Eli Apple got demoted to fifth string corner. I don't know if you noticed at the game, but Cater was Love the outside that. corner. Justin Love Bethel. That was the third corner and Perry Nicholson came in and the difference you saw with Cater and Nicholson is, and Bethel even any of those screens that the like the Patriots ran all those flash screens last week and Eli Apple would miss miss a tackle all these corners were making tackles right away and it was yeah. such a big change there were a couple instances throughout the game that a nice play was made um and I was surprised that they were made by Justin Bethel um, Nickerson, as you said, uh, Bethel, Cater, uh, they really played superb football. Um, yeah, the Broncos had 20 points, but part of that was simply because they had the ball so many times. Yeah, and seven of those p- seven points uh, came off of a kick return off of a guy we actually previewed as being the one dangerous player that the Broncos have in Marvin Mims. But like I just came away impressed, and we're getting to October, which means Jerome Baker's preseason is about done. We all, I always joke about this every year. It seems like the first month of the season, Baker really struggles, and he's a net negative. And you actually saw him start to become that player that got the extension, and why people keep talking about him and bringing him around, and why he's a he's the play caller of the defense. He had a couple big plays in the run game. Still had some issues covering. In the uh, past game, of course, I don't expect him or David Long to cover Cortland Sutton in the slot, but what can you do? But it's just, you can tell the defense is quickly coming together, and it's very encouraging because you want to be, as the season goes on, you want to be playing your best. And Jalen Phillips had to come out with an oblique injury. Again, I think if it was a closer game, he could play, but to see Van Ginkle play well, to see Ogba come in and have his best game in over a year since. 2021 I'd say to see Kahook Cater come in to see all these players come in and just play well it's so good to see especially after like I said early in the game when the game's still close we give up we go for a fourth down and I'm like oh, why would we do that we you talked about early beating ourselves and like why are we giving them these three points they punt it after getting the ball at our 39 yard line that tells you how good this defense is playing right now so I'm not listening to you. Do you want to guess what's on my computer screen right now? Um, that, either distracting me. What would that be? Uh, Russell Wilson's contract details. Yeah, and uh, that is actually a good segue into a segment I said we wanted to do. So everybody talks about contenders or pretenders. 
I came up with something called patience or panic. I'll give a little explanation for that. And what we can do is we can get a little more creative with this as the season goes on, but I just took the teams that are considered the top five draft picks per tankathon, and we're going to talk about each team to uh, see if we think that they should just be patient, things aren't as bad as they look, or if they should panic. Our, and our opponents from Sunday, the Denver Broncos, are technically number two, but we can talk about them first because we really have avoided talking about them a bit. You're talking about the Russell Wilson contract, but I'll let you start. I, I don't know about you, but I think the Broncos and Bronco fans should be panicking right now. Yeah, I just, I just don't know how you get out of this because you're, you're – I mean, you can't get out of it this year. Next year, um, he has a $17 million base salary. He's a $35 million cap hit. It's $85 million in dead cap. You're after $49 million in dead cap. After 2025, going into 2026, you can get out of it, but it's a $31 million cap hit. Um, to, to me, you're kind of stuck for a couple of years. Um, to me, you try to see if a team like the Jets, who, which I don't think the Jets physically can, um, or if there's a team out there that wants Russell Wilson for nothing, just being able to get that money. Um, but I don't even know how much that would do for you. Um, the Broncos have a couple good pieces. They have, I mean, as we've already talked about, but I mean, they're paying Sean Payton between 17 and $20 million a year for the next five years. He's coached three games and doesn't look like he wants to be there. I mean, he spent all this time talking shit about Nathaniel Hackett and, and we'll get to Sean Payton a little later. And, you know, I have some things to say about Sean Payton later, but, but I just don't know if you're the Broncos, if you're that new ownership team, how even if you can panic, I think the only thing you can do is be patient. Um, and hope God forbid that you draft a couple good players and Russell Wilson, I mean, has a slightly good year next year so that you could move off of them. Um, that you can draft somebody in 2025 to sit behind um, and then get out of that Russell Wilson deal with 31 million dead cap. I think you have to be patient, but I think there's definitely panic in Denver right now. Absolutely. And here's the other thing. We talk about Sean Payton. Let's not forget that the Broncos gave up draft picks to sign Payton to coach them. So the only thing they really have is that first round pick. And I, like I said, I was listening to different uh, Denver media today. And the big thing they're talking about is, do you t- like what do you do? Like, do you just give up and go for one of those quarterbacks coming up this year, or do you try and win a couple and then try and get another piece? Because they really only have that first round pick. And we talk about we talk about the pieces they have outside of Sertan. I look at the roster and I'm like, yeah, they have some people who could be okay, but I don't. Aside from maybe Marvin Mims, you don't really have many building blocks I see. We thought Cortland Sutton would be that. He's a good receiver, but his his ACL injury, he's never really been the same after that. I don't think he ever took that next step. I don't think Jerry Judy's been what anybody, everybody's expected him to be. Um, Garrett Bowles was a good left tackle for a while. He's going to be a free agent. I think people really overrated their defense. They have, like I said, Sertan, and then they have Simmons, the safety, who didn't play. But you have Josie Jewell, who's a free agent. I don't really see a lot in their front seven. I didn't really see a lot in their defense at all. Uh, Vance Joseph, he's 
he has a complex scheme. Let's say what it is. I don't remember his defense, even if it was only one year with Miami being this bad. I don't remember his defenses in Arizona being this bad, but he relies a lot on exotic looks, on mixing up coverages, and Denver just doesn't have the players for that. So I honestly think in the next couple weeks, they're probably going to win this coming up week because they're playing Chicago, who we will get into in a second. But if I'm them in the next couple weeks, I'm putting everybody but Russ because you really can't put him on the market. But everybody else on the market, even like I don't want, I wouldn't want to give up Sertan, but you put him out there and you see if a team is willing to give up a first round pick for him. And then you just. Commit to that rebuild. If they're if they do trade Russell Wilson, um, can you go in if you know what would what would happen with all that dead cap? Would that stay on the Broncos, or can they negotiate another team keeping that dead cap? I think it. I don't know the the exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure they would keep it because it's it's in the season. I think after a certain point. It's fully guaranteed by whatever team he signed a contract with. So I think no, but, the timing makes it that it's still going to be dead, at least for next year. So you say for next year, the $85 million in dead cap for 2024, there's no way the Broncos can get off of that? No. Okay. Then they're fucked. Yeah. Then they're it's fucked. going to be a rough one. So that's why I say you got to panic. And you try and make it work with Russ and – Russ has been okay, but like we talked about last week, as the game goes on, the offense loses all creativity. The offense can't score. They score all their points in the first quarter. Now, there were some some ticky-tack fouls that were called that kept them from scoring at other points, but I just don't see anything worth getting excited for. So to me, it's just like just get assets. Just admit this is a lost year and just commit to that rebuild. And it's so something now, I don't think they're willing to do. This is the last thing I'll say about the Broncos, and we can move on to our next team. Um, but it doesn't really the, – the problem isn't that Russell Wilson is that washed up that you can't win with him. But I don't think the Broncos, with him at that cap, salary cap figure, can put enough pieces around him uh, to be good. I don't think just one or even two drafts alone um, is going to make that team that much better. Um, you could trade a guy like Jerry Judy, trade a guy like Corton Sutton, and hope that Marvin Mims can be a top receiver. You could, but you can't. If you trade a guy like Sertan, I think you're setting yourself back even further. Um, I don't really know. I, I think the Broncos need to crush their next two drafts even to have a chance. I mean, they're a distant, distant fourth most talented roster in their division. They're a lot like the Patriots, but out West. Like I'll always say, because I remember just to kind of bring this back to the Dolphins a bit, when the Deshaun Watson talk was going on and everybody was thinking that we were just a quarterback away. If you think you're just a quarterback away, you miss the playoffs and you think you're just a quarterback away, you're not just a quarterback away. I said that for us, uh, one of the main reasons, not just because I'm a big fan of Tua, but one of the main reasons I said build around Tua is to trade everything for Watson would have made everything we're seeing now impossible. Um, I said the same thing about the, uh, well, the, in fairness, the Broncos didn't give up a lot. It's just that everything's hasn't worked out for them and everything worked out great for Seattle. But even the Jets said, don't give everything up for Aaron Rodgers. It, you're never, if you miss the playoffs, you're never a quarterback away. So that mindset was 
I just didn't agree with that mindset. And I always also thought that their roster was always overrated. It was it was always names, but it always just felt like potential to me. I never saw that next level where it's like, man, if they get a if they get a quarterback, they're gonna immediately be contenders. Right. You're hundred percent right. Right. Now to a team another team that like if there's a team if there's a team that feels worse than the Broncos, it is the Chicago Bears. Uh, I actually did laugh early, la- or earlier in the week. Uh, I was watching a video, and the person said the Chicago Bears were the most hyped up last place three win team of all time, and that was pretty that was pretty accurate. Like Justin Fields, he looked okay last year. I think people mistake being a great runner for being a great quarterback far too often. And this year, what are they not doing with Justin Fields? They are not running with him. I don't think the weapons are bad. Chase Claypool is still living off his rookies. Like, what did he have? Ten touchdowns as a rookie. Still living off of that hype. The offensive line's been bad. But they do have some decent weapons. But man, I'm panicking with the Bears because now I don't know if Justin Fields is the guy... I'm going to have two top 10 picks loaded quarterback class. I was a fan of them hiring Eberflus and Luke Getze as the offensive coordinator, but it just feels like nothing's going right. I'm not even going to touch the Allen Williams stuff. I don't know if you followed any of that, but so many weird rumors have been going on about his house getting raided and what's true or what's false, but he's no longer the defensive coordinator. There's nothing positive about the bears right now. Yeah, I what think you that say? I, I think you put in the wrong guy to coach that team. Personally, I mean, you said you like Eberflus. You said you like Getze. Um, I don't. Um, I think Getze really made a name off of being around Rogers, um, and it's now showing. But but even if let's say Getze was a great coach, why are you taking a guy who's been around Aaron Rodgers for so long and put him around Justin Fields? What, like I, I didn't understand that fit. Um, and I think that if you were going to build around Justin Fields in Chicago, then you should have brought in guys that know how to handle a quarterback like Justin Fields. Um, and I think that the Bears are in an interesting position because Fields still has a couple years on his contract. I believe he has this year and next year at a cheap figure before you have to start paying him. Um, so you're, you're going to have to weigh the options. If you have a chance to get Caleb Williams – because you have the number one pick, then yes, you look to trade fields and you get Caleb Williams. But I don't know if I want a rookie Drake May or a a rookie Bo Nix or a guy like that, a rookie, um, I don't know, Shador Sanders who says he's going back to school, um, and and take a chance on a guy like that as a rookie rather than seeing if fields with – a Marvin Harrison or another top offensive lineman with another top piece added to the defense. If a guy like Fields can take a step. I don't hate Fields. I hate Fields when you want him to be a robot, as he said, and when you want him to be a pocket passer. Uh, Justin Fields at Ohio State showed that he can make big throws and he can be mobile. The Justin Fields we're seeing in the NFL is not the Justin Fields that the, the Bears drafted. Um, and I think that they're not putting the correct pieces around him from a coaching perspective in order for him to see his full potential. I love what Justin Fields has to offer. Um, if if we didn't have a great quarterback, if we were looking for quarterbacks on the market 
um, and looking at guys to possibly make a move for. Fields would definitely be one of those guys I was talking about. I think he's a guy that for at least his next contract, because he's not going to get some astronomical figure at this point, I think he'll be pretty uh, solid to build around. But you have to put the right team. If you put Justin Fields on this Dolphins team, he'd look a lot different. If you put Justin Fields on a team like the 49ers who can run the ball, who have weapons, but you're putting Justin Fields on a team with no running game, no offensive line, and your second-best receiver, Claypool, who you traded a high second-round pick, is just a jump ball receiver that doesn't really fit. I like the fit of DJ Moore. I just don't think they have enough on offense for you to properly evaluate Justin Fields. If you think back to our pregame show, one of the first podcasts we did, I said that the thing I loved most about this Dolphins roster is the talent will allow us to properly evaluate Tua. Will allow us to properly evaluate the pieces that we have around Tua and on this team and see, because we know we have a good coaching staff, what will be able to stay, what needs to go. I don't think you can say that with the Bears. I think they missed on their hire, um, and I think that they missed on putting pieces around Justin Fields. Yeah, and like I kind of, we kind of mentioned, they do have two first-round picks because of the trade. They traded out of the first overall last year with Carolina. I guess like you'd feel better if you actually saw enough from Justin Fields so far to say we have something. Like you, you said you feel they made the wrong, the wrong hires, and nothing about the t- like I said, it doesn't just look good just from an outsider. It doesn't look like it feels good either. Like it just looks like everybody's miserable. It takes me back to the Cam Cameron days for the Dolphins, where you can just tell no one wants no one wants to be there. No one knows what they're doing. I just think if you, if they can get anything to be somewhat optimistic about Fields to say, okay, we just need to make a change, they wouldn't panic. But because then you have those two top ten picks, maybe top five, you have a great offensive offensive tackle draft coming up. You can either get the Penn State kid or Joe Alt from Notre Dame, and you could potentially get Marvin Harrison Jr. And then you're feeling a lot better about about yourself but at this point it's like okay we might have to start over again and go quarterback so that's why i say it's panic is because you really just aren't seeing anything good right now uh, but i will say this if things keep going how they are from the bears in a couple weeks if i'm chris greer i'm calling the bears and saying hey what can we give you for cole Komet? he's not having the greatest season but he's cheap they just extended him and but he was someone I loved coming out of Notre Dame, and I think even if we like Hill, if we like Smythe, if we like Croft, getting someone like of Komet's profile in with McDaniel would be something worth considering. It's a great call. And let me ask you this, just because I was thinking of it: if you um, what if just because they're also on Monday Night Football, if you're the Rams. As the season goes on, at what point do you consider do you consider calling Chicago and saying, "Hey, we'll give you a second round pick for Justin Fields?" Well, I don't think that Matthew Stafford is necessarily the problem for the Rams. No, um, but I think that the, he is older, so you get that young guy. Yeah, um, I, I think that the Rams still have some cap clearing to do. Um, I don't think the Rams are a spot where Justin Fields could go right now and make them back to a Super Bowl contender. I think they have a little more rebuilding to do. Um, I think that the Giants could be a team that make that call, depending on how bad Daniel Jones is. I know they owe him a lot of money, but they could have a cheap quarterback next year. Um, I mean, 
I think Tennessee could do that. Um, I think the especially Jets, since Will Levis has been awful. The Jets could do that. Um, yeah. The Commanders could do that. Uh, the Saints could do that now that Derek Carr is out. Um, so those are those are teams I would look um, to possibly do it. You were talking about Ryan Tannehill, not Will Levis, by the way. Oh no, I knew Tannehill, um, but I was saying Will Levis is the rookie isn't even active. Oh, yeah, and if and if you as Tennessee can take a guy like Levis or a guy like Malik Willis and give him back to Chicago uh, to maybe lessen the blow of the picks that they're going to want back, but I don't think I don't think he's going to be cheap to to get. Uh, I think he's still going to be uh, a pr- a pretty penny uh, to get Field out of Chicago. As of now, unless they get the number one pick, if they get the number one pick. There's a different conversation. Um, but right now at this moment, uh, I don't see a reason to just give up on fields because there's nothing really better out there. And, and funny enough, guess who played each other this coming up weekend, the bears and the Broncos. So if you want to see an ugly game. That's going to be it. Um, I like the bears. I wouldn't be surprised just because it's hard to come back from 70, a 70 point. Giving up seventy points and losing by fifty and losing by fifty, I just people can say all they want, and we can dunk on the Bears because they just don't feel good. But I, I kind of agree with you. Like you can't; it's just too difficult to come back from what the what we did to the Broncos. I think at least after one week, especially not making any changes to the staff. So, who's the third worst team in football? So right now, according to Tankathon, it's the Minnesota Vikings. I'm actually going to say be patient because I think everybody agrees that last year the Vikings ridiculously overachieved. The advanced numbers showed they weren't as good as their record. They won a ridiculous amount of one-score games. They do have pieces, even though Jefferson got hurt. I don't know how serious it is, but Jefferson, Addison, Osborne, Hawkinson, there's weapons there. They don't, we talked about last week, they don't have the corners to, to run Brian Flores' defense. And funny enough, I've, uh, one of our f- friends in our Discord, Scott, said that he's in Minnesota territory and the fans are complaining about all the blitzing Flores does and how it doesn't work. Uh, so they better get used to that. Uh, shocker. Yes, yeah, shocker. But to me, they I were thought, always... I thought Flores was a great coach, though. I thought yeah. he was an unbelievable coach. He got screwed over in Miami, I thought. Uh, that's what they'd have you believe. Uh, but yeah, oh, so you're saying that there's a chance that Brian Flores is a bad football coach? He definitely got a little overrated at the very least. To be, I would say so. I would say so. But yeah, to me, it's just patience. Like, I think this is the last year Kirk Cousins' contract. You get a top. They they aren't playing bad. They're just kind of it's evening. The breaks they were getting last year, they're not getting that stuff. Unfortunately, evens out. It's going to be a deep draft. Get your quarterback of the future that you don't have and just keep building. I, I like what they're building outside of Flores. They just they just don't have the pieces to me, and I just think this is them coming back to earth. It's like us with the wild, the Wildcat year, us with Adam Gase, where the record, the record does not reflect the team. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I heard um, on a podcast today, uh, the Vikings got to be the first team to have the quarterback with the most passing yards and the receiver with the most receiving yards and have an 0-3 record to start the season. Um, I definitely think that this is Cousins' last year in Minnesota. Um, I've been seeing a lot of Jets fans 
uh, wanting the Jets to trade for Kirk Cousins. And I actually like that for both teams. I think the problem is that you can't have Justin Jefferson uh, be too unhappy and too frustrated with a contract negotiation coming up. But I kind of, if Minnesota is going to be bad and try to get Caleb Williams or try to get a top guy in this draft, I, I could see them moving off of Cousins uh, before the season ends. And I think that's a good move. Um, I think that the Brian Flores hire, uh, based on what they have there in Minnesota, was such a weird fit. Um, but then again, I mean, it, it it is what it is when it comes to Flores. Um, yeah, I, I just didn't talk about that real quick. Flores is one of those weird coaches that thinks the coverage helps the pass rush more than the pass rush helps the coverage. Um, I know the I know a lot of people in the Baltimore organization think that I learned that well. Their current defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, was with Michigan for a year, and I don't necessarily agree with that mindset. Um, I'm looking at the Vikings roster and. There, there's really just not a lot there. So. Yeah, I could see them. Let's say in a hypothetical universe, they get the number one pick. I could see them drafting Caleb Williams and then taking all defense the rest of the draft. Yeah. And, just, and just adding to that defense because, I mean, they just they don't have it right now. They just don't have yeah. it right now. Yeah, so that's one of the ones where it's just you even you even out. So it's one of those things like, yeah, I don't know if you were expecting to be this bad. They probably won't be in the top five come the end of the end of the year unless they end up trading Kirk uh, to Kirk Cousins, which we can talk about in a little bit. But yeah, it's just one of those things. And then the fourth team right now doesn't have their pick, but it is the Carolina Panthers again. I think this is patience. If anything, I think they're annoyed that they trade it, that what's going to be a top 10 pick. Um, not because they got Bryce Young, but what, seeing them a couple times this week, talking about a team that has nothing. They have the corpse of Adam Thielen and then nothing else at wide receiver. Hayden Hurst isn't a bad tight end, but they just there's just nothing there. Um I like Carolina's coaching staff. I think they've made a lot of good hires. The offensive line isn't complete right now. I believe two starters are out, Austin Corbett and Brady Christensen. That makes a difference. But this is just patience. It's, again, a team they probably gave up too much to go to a quarterback to get that quarterback before they were ready. So it's going to be a rough year this year. But they just need to, they just need to focus on adding talent. Yeah, I think that this is a team in the Panthers – that this offseason, you're going to see them add a number of veterans um, to make up for not having that high-end draft pick. Um, they knew what they were getting by trading up for Bryce Young. They knew that there was a possibility uh, that that pick would be a high pick that they'd be giving. Um, and they seemed to be okay with that. They seemed to really love um, Bryce. And if that's the case, then there's no amount of picks that you could give up uh, to get your quarterback. I think he's a little small. Um, I, to me, and I could be wrong... He seems smaller out there than even Tua seemed his rookie year. He does. Um, and, and, it's, and on a team with not much talent, um, it's hard to be that small. So as they add talent over the next couple of years, it'll be very interesting to me to see um, how Bryce Young develops going into year three, going into year four. Um, but I think this year and maybe even next year because of that lack of a first-round pick might be a couple rough years for the Panthers. Yeah, and I'm just looking at their team. So they definitely do have pieces. On defense, you have Derek Brown, 
Um, you have Brian Burns, who they say they want to extend. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets put on the market. Uh, they keep saying they won't, but I definitely consider that. You have Jeremy Chin. You have C.J. Henderson. You have Dante Jackson. You have J.C. Horn, who's currently on IR. You have Shaq Thompson. Uh, so they have pieces on defense. Um, again, offensively, you have Ike Iguanu, um, who's a good young off- left tackle. You still have, the, like I said, Brady Christensen and Austin Corbett on IR currently get them healthy, but looking at their skills positions, they did go out and get Miles Sanders, good signing. But their other running backs, Raheem Blackshear, Chuba Hubbard, their wide receivers are DJ Chark, Terrace Marshall Jr., Jonathan Mingo, Lavisca Chenault, who I did like coming out of Colorado, but he just has. I love Lavisca coming out. I loved him, and he just he just can't stay healthy. Um, Amir Smith Marset, who I believe was from Iowa, Adam Thielen. And at tight end, you have Hayden Hurst, Ian Thomas, and Tommy Tremble. There's just, like I said, there's just nothing there. They just have to add explosiveness yeah. to offense. They need pieces, and they need pieces, and they need pieces. Um, and, and until they get it, they're, they're going to be tough to watch because Bryce is going to need that. Um, so they're a team, again, like you said, patience. Um, it's definitely patient. It, it's not panic because you can't really panic with, with that situation. I mean, you just have to let your young talent develop. I mean, they do have Jonathan Mingo, um, so they do have a young receiver in there. Um, but it, it, it's about letting the team develop and hopefully adding a couple pieces in the mid-rounds next year and adding some veterans in free agency. Um, that'll allow you to be competitive next year in what's a really a wide-open division. Yeah, yeah, and with that division, um, I wouldn't call it good. So it, it could be a really quick rebuild. They just have to be smart. Um, the fifth and final team in this segment we're going to talk about is actually a team playing now. So there's currently right now they're 0-2, but the Cincinnati Bengals, um, despite all the talent they have, Jordan, I'm actually going to say this is a team that should be panicking. Um, now, as long as you have someone like Joe Burrows, you're always going to be competing if he can stay healthy. The issue is the Bengals are a notoriously cheap organization they just gave Joe Burrows the biggest contract they've ever given a player. But they're running into that situation where everybody needs a con- new contract. they got to worry about Jamar Chase. they got to worry about uh, T. Higgins. And it sounds like T. Higgins isn't going to get what he wants. they got to start worrying about the defensive players they have. Um, people forget one of the reasons they made that run to the Super Bowl two years ago was the the uh, free agent class they had getting people like Trey Hendrickson, getting DJ Reader. Um, I believe they had Von Bell, who's no longer there anymore. They got our old friend Ted Karras, Alex Kappa. This year they actually went out and signed Orlando Brown Jr. So they are trying to spend money, but the one thing you've, like I've noticed since that run, which doesn't seem like too long ago, is the drafting has has started to go down again. And they weren't the greatest drafting team beforehand. They just got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. So I look at their roster right now, and there's some big names, but I think the depth isn't there, and those free agents they got are now a little older, and they are going to want another contract that I don't think the Bengals can afford, and they're, they're scouting. The Bengals have already been behind scouting compared to the rest of the league just because of the cheapness of their owners. So I just don't see the talent there. 
I'm not a big fan of Zach Taylor, former Dolphin assistant, but I don't think he is the best when it comes to X's and O's and scheme. I think the Bengals are winning and have won the last couple of years just around superior talent, and that catches up with you. You need to be able to out-scheme people occasionally, or even if not out-scheme, just do enough to get people open, and they're just not doing that. It's have Joe Burrow chuck it up to one of his three top receivers and pray. So, and we're kind of seeing that now with him being not with him being unhealthy this year. Uh, I think it's going to catch up to them. I think we might be in line for a coaching change for them really soon. So, I think it's time to panic, especially because their division is always going to be tough, and no matter how what you think of the other teams in the division. They all have better front offices than the Bengals. So before I get into the Bengals, um, I think our producer, Zach Jackson, before next week, before we play Patience or Panic again, should develop some sort of panic buzzer. So when you say panic, it like hits a buzzer that causes panic. Uh, but that's something, yeah. just to throw, something to throw into the woodworks. Um, but I think it's time for the Bengals to panic. Um, I've said that the thing I think is the best thing for the Bengals is that the outcome of this season is going to result on in Zach Taylor getting fired. Um, I've been uh, able to pretty much predict how the Bengals seasons have been able to go over the last couple of years because you knew based off their talent, they were going to be very successful, but their coach wasn't going to allow them to win the big game. Um, I love Zach Taylor as a positional coach, as an assistant. Um, I just don't see him as the type to be a Super Bowl winning head coach. Um, he doesn't have that feel to him. And I think it's time that it's going to catch up to him. And I think that the Bengals, you're going to see them, they're going to take a step back this year, but then they're going to take a huge step forward next year simply because of the fact that they're going to have a new coach in there. Now, who they hire is going to be very important. Um, I think they need to put a veteran NFL coach in there. I don't know if that exists, but uh, but hopefully they could find one. Um, somebody that can come in and really be – um, for lack of a better term, an adult, the adult in the room. I'm um, a lot like what I said I liked about Vic Fangio coming to Miami, um, is that he was now, although we have McDaniel, it was like having in a real true grown-up in the room um, that was going to cause us to be a more mature team, which we're seeing. I mean, that's what the Bengals need. Bengals need a, a mature man in the room um, who's going to right the ship. Um, it, it seems like there's too much mess around the Bengals. Um, it's time to panic. It's time to um, figure out your internal pieces, who's staying around uh, Joe Burrow. Um, a- another team we talked about, and I know there's a guy um, coming up on an, on an extension in the next couple of years. I look for the Bengals to try to get themselves in the Justin Jefferson sweepstakes um, simply to keep Joe Burrow happy. I mean, he played with Jamar Chase, um, and I think that th- they're – going to try to copy the Dolphins and in the next couple of years my prediction is that you see a rumor swirl out there about the Bengals being linked to Justin Jefferson um, but aside from that it, it's time for the Bengals to to start over bring some young talent to that defense bring some new talent to that defense revamp the offensive line yet again and then let's go it, it's time for Joe Burr to win you some games uh, they got really fucked early in the season with the ankle injury um, but it's, it's going to take this year. Um, it's going to be a bad year and I look for them to pull burrow at some point. 
um, and towards the end of the season, probably sit him out if they're out of it, um, just so he's healthy going into next year, um, and just so they can add um, an influx of talent and new coaches to this team next year that is not far removed um, or far away from being a real Super Bowl contender. You talk about getting an adult in the room. While, we, while you were saying that and talking about a potential coach, the name that I'd watch for is actually their former longtime defensive coordinator, former Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer. He's beloved in that city and in that organization. So if they do make a coaching change, I would not be shocked if he's the person they bring in. Yeah, that's not a bad call at all. I I, I would like to see him in there um, because, like you said, that's that's an adult in the room. That's a veteran in the room. Um, and I think bringing a guy like that, um, I, I, I think if the Bengals do switch coaches, I hope they don't put in like a young coordinator, a yup, young up-and-coming guy. I hope they uh, – Mike Zimmer is a great candidate um, for them, uh, and I think he would be a, a good fit. All right. And that was the first edition of Panic or Patience, and like Jordan said, we will revisit that in the near future probably not every week but we'll we'll do it in the near future as we get a little bit more on these teams now on to the afc east review we did this last week during the during the pick the pick'em show um i thought it would be better just because all the games are fresh to move this up to to the first show of the week and we're going to talk about the jets and pats ugly game really ugly game uh, i actually said it would come down to which to uh Big plays from the Jets versus the dink and dunk of the Pats. And the Pats basically won because of a big play where the Jets' defense made a mistake and left Farrell Brown open, and he ran 50-plus yards for a touchdown. It's ugly. Uh, You mentioned Cousins to the Jets earlier. It it comes to the point. The Jets keep saying they're not going to move on from Zach Wilson. I've seen it talked about by so many people. They... The Jets screwed themselves. They can't give up this season. Everybody, a lot of people are saying they should and just get that, get that pick. They they know they can't do it. They have the defense now to compete, at least in their minds. But they don't have the offensive stat, offensive line. Jordan, you know how much I can't stand Nathaniel Hack as a coach. I think he's an idiot. I think he is the one guy who's ridden Aaron Rodgers to. He, he's they uh, saying is failed up. He's failed up everywhere since he's been with Aaron Rodgers. He keeps getting opportunities because he's Aaron Rodgers, bro. There's like they do have talent. Like I hate to say it, the Jets do have talent. They're not the most. They're not as talented as they like to think they are. They are not close to competing, but they've got to make a move because they, despite what people think, they cannot give up on this season. And having Zach Wilson in is punting. Now. The other thing is they just don't have the offensive line to compete. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. But at this point, just to, if nothing else, for Salah and Joe Douglas to save their jobs, they've got to go get someone. I don't know if it's Cousins. I don't know if it's punting and trying to get Justin Fields. I don't know if it's Carson Wentz. I don't even know if they have to go, go out to Arizona and pull Johnny Football out of the desert. But they cannot go the rest of the season with Zach Wilson. He's a broken man. Well, the reason Kirk Cousins makes a lot of sense is because of his contract. The contract will be up at the end of the year. Um, and, then, and then you can go back and see if uh, Rodgers is healthy enough before you revisit conversations. Um, but I don't think the Jets will be willing to give up enough um, for 
what, whatever it is, eight to ten weeks of Kirk Cousins um, for the Vikings to want to give him up. Um, but maybe that, that would be a good fit. Um, but they're unwatchable right now, both those teams, the Jets and the Patriots. Um, it's just bad football. Um, and I think it, what makes me laugh at the Jets the most uh, is that, like you said, they do have talent. And the fact that they have talent is what makes it hysterical to me how comically bad they are. Um, and I think they're going to continue to be like that at least for the rest of the season. It does pain me to know that they'll have another high pick next year, um, which is why I hope they get a guy like Cousins and win enough games to just miss the playoffs um, so that they get a middle round uh, first round pick. Um, that's why it pained me that Rodgers got hurt because neither of us thought they were going to make the playoffs. And if he would have played, they would have given up their first round pick. Um, but I think the Jets, uh, the Jets are closer than the Patriots. Um, but but both are pretty far away from where we are and even where Buffalo is right now. Right. And like I said with the Broncos earlier, with the Jets, you, if you think you're a quarterback away and you miss the playoffs, you're not a quarterback away. But the Jets did something even stupider in that they built their whole team around Aaron Rodgers and made it Rodgers or bust to now that they, they really don't have anything for this year. But you also cannot, you cannot write it away. Now, as for the Patriots, first of all, I don't know if you saw this, but Mac Jones, there's video evidence that Mac Jones hit Sauce Gardner in the junk. And nice. Typical. Got, yeah, and Sauce hit him. Like, he got hit. So Mac Jones continues to be dirty. Watching him again, it's, it's just the same thing where it's, Mac Jones isn't terrible, but there's a ceiling. He is, he's Jay Fiedler, but maybe not as good as Jay Fiedler. He's not going to make the mistakes, but you're not, you're not going to get the big play consistent, big playability to have you contending. That defense, again, that defense will always be good. Like Bill Belichick is in a lot of ways, what Mike McDaniel is for offense, he's for defense. He's always going to adapt. He's always going to have a great defense. And there's pieces there. Bentley, Gonzalez, Judon. At what point, again, do you just know, like, Mac is just not enough? Like, he's good enough to tease you, but he's not good enough to take you anywhere near contention. To the point where I wonder if, you talk about cousins for the Jets. I wonder if Belichick, knowing he's close to retirement, if he says, you know what, just give me someone good enough to get me to the playoffs and see if even the Patriots may make a run for cousins. Yeah, I won't go really that deep into the Patriots um, just because we talked about them so much last week. But um, that, that's not a, a bad idea. I could see, I think a Mac Jones for Kirk Cousins swap would make a lot of sense for both teams. Um, and I think that um, that would give Minnesota a young quarterback to evaluate um, and give Mac Jones some weapons. So you could see if Mac Jones um, actually is that quarterback while also giving Kirk Cousins um, maybe a couple seasons in New England while New England tries to find who their next quarterback is. Because Bill would love a, a quarterback like Kirk Cousins. Um, but like we said last week, I mean, the Patriots, they don't have any speed. Um, they're a lot of pieces away. Um, and, and I think they're. Very, very far and away, even though they beat the Jets. To me, the Pats are very far and away the fourth best team in the division. And no matter how you cut it between the Jets and the Patriots, I think that they're both significantly behind the Dolphins and the Bills. 
They absolutely are. And speaking of the Bills, their defense is coming off quite the game where they intercepted Sam Howell four times, got a pick six, and also had nine sacks. So, so just a mini preview. We're gonna we're gonna go in depth on the Bills with our Pick'em show, but it looks like it is coming into this game an unstoppable force meets the immovable objects with how object with how their defense is playing. It does seem like they kind of got their offense going, uh, but from what I what I saw, like, and I, I I will not pretend to say I paid a lot of attention to this game, but it does sound like it was a lot like the Vegas game where the score doesn't really show how good or how not so good the Bills offense was. I did see Josh Allen had a big touchdown to Gabe Davis of 35 yards, but it does seem like that offense is very is getting very stagnant at times, but the defense is picking up. Now, going up against what we'd probably consider a lackluster line of quarterbacks the last couple weeks may inflate that. But the Bills are finding their form at the right time, which will make for an interesting game this weekend. Yeah, they're definitely not facing Garoppolo or Sam Howell this week. Yeah, speaking of Garoppolo, just seeing him against, against Pittsburgh, it's again one of those things where it's like he'll do enough to make you – make you think you have a chance, but he, it's very, very low. And also looking at the Bills, just to kind of kind of give something that I've noticed, they've been so reliant the last couple of years, and one of the reasons their offense has been so good is an underrated part is Dawson Knox, and they're just not involving him much in the offense right now. Um, I also know this because Dawson Knox on my one fantasy team, and he's not doing anything. Um, but even Dalton Kincaid, who they let, had a first-round pick on, isn't doing much. So while the Bills are getting are getting the, are starting to find a groove right now, and they like I'm not I'm not going to be naive enough to say that they're not good and they're not still elite, but it definitely does seem like they are still very one-dimensional, uh, which is I think will hurt them long-term, and I think that's why at this point, not just because we just scored 70 points, but I do think it's hard to put a put them above us in the division. I just don't see the same team from the last couple of years. Yeah. And I know we're going to get much deeper into this um, and dive into it on our next show, but is this the point of the show where um, I get to put somebody on the list? Floor is all yours, buddy. You can go in and you can go in hard on this guy. All right. So I'm going to read you a quote. I think at some point we'll see two quarterbacks in Miami. I think at some point, and they played well yesterday with Tua, but Teddy Bridgewater, I've had before, is an outstanding player. And I think that's one of the unique things this year. I've counted eight teams where I believe we're going to see multiple quarterbacks play, not relative to injury, but just a controversy, if you will. So I'm going to give you a controversy. A controversy is coming into a job, bashing the coach that came before you, and then being more incompetent than the coach before you. Sean Payton, you just gave up 70 points to a quarterback that you said should have played in a tandem quarterback situation with Tua. So if you don't want to come out and say Tua's going to start or Tua's going to get benched for Teddy, you think they're going to play in tandem? Is this high school football? Are we playing two quarterbacks? It, it, one running quarterback, one throwing quarterback? 
one lefty, one righty. Should Tua only throw to the left side of the field? And we'll put in Mike White, I guess, this year and have him throw to the right side of the field. Either way, it's not going to happen because, Sean Payton, you just played against the league MVP and you just got shit on by the league MVP. He put up 70 points. So I want to put Sean Payton on the list for this reason. The, the quote he gave about Tua last year, plus 70 points. So, Sean Payton, you, sir, are on the list. Absolutely. And I almost – that's a good call. And I almost wanted to put the whole Broncos organization on the list because if you think about it, not not only did Sean Payton shit on Tua, you had a team that didn't, didn't even think to interview their former ball boy and Mike McDaniel. And you know he probably had a, a personal grudge from that. You not your only- ball boy scored 70 points on your head. And could have scored 84. Yep, but you also, our defensive coordinator you fired as a head coach. And Bums. you just traded us one of your best and only defensive pieces in Bradley Chubb. Bums. So everything about the, like, talk about it. I almost feel bad saying they all should be on the list, but Sean Payton definitely is a good call, and he is on the list. And there's been more people who have talked, and we've got it. We've got a. We've got to have a list council this week to see who's next on, because a lot of people have been running their mouth this week. Still about Tua, but we'll get more into that later in the week. Uh, but Victory Monday, everybody enjoy what's left of it. Enjoy a performance that you may never see again unless we play the Chicago Bears, uh, but I don't think we do this year. Jordan, any thoughts before we give it, a, give it up for the night and just enjoy such a historic and such an amazing game. Well, obviously uh, a thank you and a shout out to everybody that makes this show happen. Um, I think for being such a new show, uh, I think people would be surprised all the work that goes into putting each one of these episodes and the amount of people um, that kind of bring ideas to the table of what we're going to do each week. Um, So thank you and appreciation to all those people. But I just want to end by reminding everybody that Sean Payton gave up 70 points yesterday. And I don't think anybody will forget that anytime soon. For Zach and for Jordan, as always, I'm Brett, and this is The List. And remember, we are watching. Zach, hit that music.